0: Well, you might have noticed I'm not Pastor Ken. Uh, My name is Aaron Garza. Welcome to Mountain View Church, Sunnyside. And I am the college and young adult pastor uh, for Mountain View Church. Um, It's great to be with you. You know, I have two strong feelings in this moment that I want to tell you this. Feeling number one is responsibility. Every time I've been given an opportunity, I'm thankful for Pastor Ken who's on sabbatical uh, to come before you, to present God's word, uh, I know that this is uh, there's a responsibility here. But on the other hand, I have uh, complete excitement, just sheer excitement. Because, man, when we ground ourselves in God's word, we're going to be okay. And he's going to give us hope. He's going to take care of us. So would you please, with me, turn in your Bible to Ephesians 5, 22. That's where we're going to be this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Turn there, if you would, with me. You know, I'm thankful for every single opportunity that I get to uh, present God's Word, but most of the time, my responsibilities revolve not around uh, a Sunday morning, it actually revolves around a Thursday night. So if you happen to come to our main campus uh, over off Fowler and Ashland, and you stumbled in on a Thursday night around 8 o'clock, um, you might see some young adults hanging out, um, a whole bunch of them actually, and uh, you might see them maybe jumping over one another to rent, win the next game of Uno or Dutch Blitz. Or you might see them uh, eating slices of pizza whole. Or on a more serious note, this is what I love, is to see guys and gals connect for the first time and develop true, meaningful community and actually get to know one another and take their faith seriously to worship and to dive into God's Word. And I have been uh, doing ministry now. This is, this is my uh, first really full-time working uh, in pastoral ministry. I've been doing this for about a year and now four, four weeks and so I can tell you, man, I, there's so many things I have learned in this process of getting to hang out with our young adults, getting to work at Mountain View. Uh, if we sat and, and chatted, uh, th- I could just talk for hours. One of those lessons that I have learned is this, is that I can never expect somebody else to be open, honest, and vulnerable with me if I am not first willing to be honest, open, and vulnerable with them. So part of that process you know, involves telling stories, one of the stories that uh, my wife, Justine, and I uh, we told was this past Valentine's Day. We got all of our young adults together and we said, hey, listen up. Uh, we're going to tell you about how we went from that process of single, dating, engaged, and then to married. And so uh, I told them the story about how I purchased Justine, uh, my wife's wedding ring. And so it was about fall of 2014. I had been an apprentice here at Mountain View. And then I went back to Hillsboro, Kansas, middle of nowhere, Kansas, I got one person who went to the same college as me in the back, and I'm there, and I'm, and I'm asking one question and one question only, sitting in my dorm room. I'm going, Lord, do I marry Justine Langer? That's the question that I have. And so I knew that if I was going to hear what the Lord was going to say to me, I needed to open up my shape journal. I was going to do a S-H-A-P-E. And so if, you, if you've been in the culture of Mountain View, you know this is what we do. I had taken this from my, my internship, and I was applying it, and I went, okay, scripture. I would read my Bible, write down the scripture, and then I would go on the basis of what I have read, what are you saying to me, Lord? And I would hear what he would have to say, and then A, applying on the basis of what he said, on the basis of what I had just read, and then P, the prayer, you bring whatever you have to bring before the Lord. In this case, do I marry the girl? That's the question that I have, and then the next thing was exalt, ending on a positive note and praising the Lord. And so I remember as I'm sitting in my dorm room asking this question, the thought occurs to me, wasn't there that guy? named Gideon in the Old Testament, and before he was about to go to battle, he said, Lord, give me a sign. And so he put the fleece out, and he said, Lord, can you put dew around the fleece and not on the fleece, and I don't know, I'm supposed to go into battle. And then he was kind of wishy-washy the next day, and Lord, can you switch that, and then can you put the dew on the fleece? And I, you know, I remember that story, and I went, Lord, I need a sign. And so I'm about to go, Lord. I remember saying this, I'm about to drive an hour south to Wichita, Kansas, and I'm gonna buy the wedding ring. And so, Lord, here's what I would like: um, Could you just have Justine, my, my future father-in-law? Would you have him just give me a call and say, "Hey, Aaron, I just want to affirm you. I just want to let you know, just out of the blue, you're just a great guy." And I'll just know. Okay, now I'm, I know I'm supposed to uh, marry Justine. And if not, Lord, don't let me make it. Uh, let me have a blow out my tire. Don't let the car make it. If I got to get a car wreck, just don't let me make it. Okay. So I'm driving down. Thirty minutes go by. Forty-five minutes go by. Check, checking my, my uh, phone, checking the gauge, make sure everything is, is right on the car. 55 minutes, and I finally see the exit uh, for my turn, and I haven't received the phone call. No tires blown out, and so what do I do? Well, of course, I just passed the exit just so I could give the Lord a little bit more time so he could answer my prayer request. And so reason came, and then I, I, I went, you know, all right. And so I, I made a U-turn, came back, bought the ring, and I'm driving home. And as I'm driving back to Hillsboro, I'm asking the question. I go, Lord, what was all that about? Why didn't you give me the sign? I started thinking, what is the reason I'm doing all this, though? I thought, well, part of it is, of course, uh, you know, we love one another. That's not the main reason. The main reason, Lord, you have called me to be a Christian, so I want to do this so that we can serve you, set our eyes on you, so we can glorify your name, so that we would be led to holiness in your sight. And so I just kind of left it there. Two weeks go by, and uh, we, had, we had made shape groups all over uh, camps. So we had taken kind of the, the Mountain View DNA that we had learned, and we went, boom, and just dropped it in, in, in our camp. And so we had all sorts of shape groups going on. And I'm in my shape group with my guys, and we get to the end of uh, praying, uh, get to the end of it, and then we pray for one another, and we pair off and pray. Well, Brennan Pankratz, freshman, he puts hand, his hand on me, and he says, how can I pray for you? And I said, can you just pray for my future with Justine, that we would be smart and wise and... and um." So he prays for me, and I won't never forget it. And he goes, God, I thank you for Aaron and Justine, and I thank you that the reason that you've brought them together is not so that just they would be happy, but so that they would also be holy. And I thought, huh, that's interesting, because I just said that about two weeks ago. I remember thinking about how I had driven back, um, and I was saying, Lord, lead us to holiness. And then he's saying, holiness right here. You ever had that happen before where you, 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 something happens over here, and then the Lord confirms it over there. And this is what was going on in my life, and just the light bulbs went off in that moment. And he affirmed it in his own way for me in my stage of life in that moment. Maybe you've had that happen to you. And so that's the question that we're really asking this morning is, what is the reason for marriage? What is the reason we to maybe seek to be in a marriage? What's the reason we are married if we are married? And what's the reason if we're just holding on by dear life while we are still remaining married? And before we go any further, I want to acknowledge something. I have this thing called a baby face. Some people might look at me and go, this guy isn't even 30, and my marriage is older than this guy's been alive, and I just want to affirm you. and not affirm that you're significantly older than me, some of you, but I just also want to affirm that there's so much wisdom in this room, and I only hope that in this moment um, I can give back to you um, what many of you have given to me. And so if you would look in your Bible at Ephesians 5, uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to dive right on in. Ephesians 5.22 says this. For wives, this means submit to your husbands. This is what Paul leads off, and he says to the women, specifically the wives in Ephesus, the first thing that comes out of his mouth right here that we're reading, he says, for wives, submit to your husbands. And I want to pause right here. And before I go any further, I want to acknowledge this, that we have a decision to make in this moment as we read this passage. We can either let the culture influence what we think about marriage, or we can look at this and say, God, you actually know what is best. What I have found is that when I have a posture in which I stand over the Bible and I kind of play a, a game where I choose what I like or what I don't like, that always gets me into trouble. When I submit underneath it, I find that not only do I read the passage, but it reads me. And so my hope is that we would do this in these next few moments, and we'll actually see this is actually for our good. Verse 23, let's keep going. It says this, for a husband, the reason why wives are to do this, for a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Okay, what's going on here? Paul is painting a picture and he says, wives, husbands, wives, you have this role, husbands, you have this role. And you come together. Wives, you are to follow your husbands. Husbands, we'll see in verse 25, you're supposed to love your wives. And we're going to flesh that out and what that looks like. But guess what he says? That is actually an illustration, a picture, uh, an acted out parable. You might say a mirror of a more deeper, real reality that is happening. And that's the love relationship between Christ and the church. And so the wife represents the, lo- represents the church. And the husband represents Christ. And so as the church follows Christ, and Christ loves the church, and lays his life down for her, you are acting that out in marriage. And so the husband and the wife, let's be very, very clear, are completely equal. But they have given, diff, been given different roles that are to complement one another in marriage. This is what the Bible is prescribing. Marriage is a mirror, and it represents the love relationship between Christ and the church. And so Perhaps you look at this and go, okay, I don't know how to process all of this. What what do we mean by one following the other and the other loving that? And you might think of maybe the world's understanding of leadership. This is by no means a domineering over type of understanding of leadership. If I'm looking at Jesus and I'm going, Jesus, you are the definition, explanation. You, You are the one who demonstrates perfect leadership. What does that look like? Ah, I think I remember. It looks like Jesus, just hours before he's about to be crucified and nailed to a cross, he's getting on his knees, and he's telling the disciples, come on, come come near. And they get all around him, and he takes off his shirt, he gets on his knees, gets a bucket of water, and he cleans the disciples' ugly, crusty feet. Leadership, according to the Bible, is getting low so you can elevate those who are around you. And while we talk about this, I want to say this in this moment. We have to put a huge asterisk whenever we talk about wives' following husbands. I, w- I want to say this. I am under no illusion, and I have not missed what has been happening in our culture the last year and a half. As the curtain has been pulled back, and we've seen the horrible abuses that have happened to women, right, in our culture. We have seen many of these things that have happened. There's so much th- that is there. So let me be very, very clear here. No man should ever be followed who is sexually abusive, verbally abusive, or physically abusive to his spouse. That is cowardice, and that is not Christian leadership the motto of Christian leadership is this greater love has no more than this than he who is willing to lay down his life for his friends I told you the, the story about how I bought the ring day before our wedding Justine and I uh, were about to get married um, and we're in a small town South Dakota now if you've ever been to South Dakota uh, my wife is on, on a plane right now to go see family I'm about to hop on a plane myself in just a couple of days to go there there are more people in the Fresno area than there actually are in the entire state of South Dakota. There are more cows than there actually are people. And it's just very peaceful to be driving down the road. I remember we're driving down the road, and we had just been at the reception hall getting everything ready. And uh, we're going back to the church. I'm hanging out with my buddies, my groomsmen. And I asked the question because I was remembering where I was in the stage. And I went, okay, I just graduated from college. We're about to get married. I'm about to go to graduate school um, uh, where I'm going to be preparing for ministry well, Lord, what's going to happen after that? Because I had this sense that the Lord might be calling us to live somewhere different than South Dakota or Texas where I was from, right? And so I remember thinking about that and going, what do I do if Justine's not really down for the cause with that? And I asked my friends, and I said to I asked my, my, my guys, I said, what do you think? And so my single friends in all of their wisdom about marriage look at me and they say, well, you would have to tell her that she would have to submit to you or she would, and she would just have to deal with it if she didn't want to. Or second, um, you would just have to pack up and go and just leave her behind. And I just remember thinking, you know, that sounds like the worst piece of advice I could possibly imagine. I like, just don't see that working out with Justine. My wife is an independent woman. Uh, who wants to be taken care of and uh, I just don't see that really working out in our um, relationship right and so fast forward about two months Uh, two months I am we have moved down to Fort Worth Texas I'm in my second week of classes I'm going to my church history class and I get a call from none other than Pastor Fred over at main campus and he asked me hey what are you doing when you graduate and I go Pastor Fred I have no clue I just got here I have no idea whatsoever fast forward another three and a half years And we've kept contact with Pastor Fred. Uh, I have done three internships at Mountain View. I was called myself the intern that you couldn't get rid of. And so uh, we continued this conversation. And I remember we were sitting down, Justine and I, and we're looking at one another in our small little dorm, uh, small little apartment on seminary housing. I looked around and go, honey, I think God's calling us to go to California. And I remember in that moment, it wasn't going to be one person dragging another halfway across the country. If we were going to do this, we were going to do it as a unit. We are going to do this together, and we were both going to be in agreement. I remember her looking at, into my eyes. I'll never forget it. And she, and she says, in a gracious, loving tone, she looks at me and she says, Aaron, I'll follow you. I love you. And my response was not to go, you're darn right. No, my response was not that at all. My response was to go, who am I that you would do that. I I was actually humbled by that. And so I have to tell you this, if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't be here right now. This is, I think, a good picture of the wife's relationship to the husband. Marriage is a mirror. If you look at your Bible, look at it. The first three verses are dedicated towards the women. The next nine are dedicated towards the men. And so let's look at verse 25. Paul now speaks to the men. And he says in verse 25, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Just as Christ loved the church. And so, you know, I've been in the, the academy for about eight and a half years before I came out here. and I've learned to, to speak English once again, to be around normal people. And so I know this, is that whenever someone talks about the Greek language, right, um, it's like this. Uh, n- knowing Greek for the pastor is like wearing underwear. Everybody's glad that you have it, but nobody wants to see it. You, does it you'll get it. And just, like, just give it a moment. You'll get it. And so in, in this kind of setting, I just want to just ask, can you give me a moment and, and hold on and listen. Um, you're going to notice that in this passage, six different times, the word love is used. And that's the Greek word agape. And the way Paul is using that word here is he says, husbands, love your wives. The way he's using that here is that that love would have continual effects into the future and that it would be habitual. Translation. You don't just love your wife so that you can get something in the present and then you stop. That's called manipulation. That's not actually love. Love never fails. Love continues on. Love is, does not hold on to its own. It, it loves no matter what. And so he says you have to be willing to lay down your life for your bride in the same way that Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. This is what the husband's called to do. Now, here's the reality that I know that most of us who are husbands are probably never going to be called to actually brawl for our, for our, our spouses. Um, uh, the reality is that's probably never going to happen. It's probably going to look like sacrificial love demonstrated in the mundane things of life. When I think of an example of what this looks like, I'll leave him unnamed. Uh, but I, Justine and I spent uh, a good time with a, with a couple and, and, their, and, and their family and to see how they worked. And I remember watching this husband, he work his tail off at work. And then he would come home, and he would transition from work mode to dad mode. And so it was time for his wife to say, we're done. You're, you're, you're done. It's, it's my t- turn to let the rugrats uh, just fall over on me. It's time for me to do the dishes. This guy did not go and sit down in front of the TV and check out. No, he held down the fort. And I remember looking at that. He didn't do it just one day or two days. It was unceasingly habitual every single day. That was sacrificial love done in the mundane. And so my question for you, if you're a husband in here is, I have no doubt that you would be willing to lay down your life for your bride, but do you do the dishes? That's the question that I have. And so as we look at this passage, we're seeing the reason why Jesus lays down his wife, his life for for the bride, the church. And he says this, look at verse 26 and 27. Give the reason for it. He did this to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any such blemish. And instead, she will be holy and without fault. So you thought this was a message about marriage. It's actually a, a message about the gospel. And the gospel breaks through in this moment. And it shows us this, is that you and I are so jacked up, sinful, and unclean that Jesus has to clean us up so that we can be clean enough to come before him. He has to clean us up so that we can be clean enough to come before him. And so it's absolutely ridiculous whenever I hear someone say, I've got to get back into church. I've got to try harder. I've got to clean myself up to make myself acceptable for God. I st- I, man, I'll tell you this. Just three months ago, I, sat, I stood right outside greeting at our main campus. I saw a guy I hadn't seen for three years and he comes up to me and he says these exact words. And I thought, with brokenness in my heart, like, like it's... Like, you're only gonna be here one day. This is not gonna last because his motivation was wrong. He thought he had to clean himself up to make himself right before God. No, no, no. The only thing that you and I have contributed to our salvation was a sin that made it necessary for Jesus to go up on the cross on our behalf. I was not looking for Jesus when he found me. I didn't meet him halfway. He met me all of the way when I was acting like a fool. And so here's the, here's the truth that I know, is that if he left the grave behind him, so can I. And if he left the grave behind him, so can every single person who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus. This is, this is what we know as Christians. This is the gospel message, is that he cleaned us up and we didn't deserve any of it, and he made us right in his sight this is the gospel this is what jesus has done and husbands your sacrificial love demonstrates what jesus has done for us what a responsibility that we've been given and so not only do we represent that through doing of the dishes but through all the kind of mundane things of life husbands love your wives as christ loved the church that's first to husbands. And then, second, he says in verse 28 Husbands, love your wives as your own self. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 says this In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for, for the church, and we are members of his body. Did you catch that in verse 28? What does that sound like? The golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you, right? Whenever you use King James language, except for when we talk about the golden rule. And Jesus, say, in the same way, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And can you think of anybody more closer as a neighbor than the person you share your bed with night after night after night? And so to mistreat your wife, to speak negative words to her, to cut her down, Paul says, that's like shooting yourself in the foot. And he grounds all of this, though. In Genesis 2, 24, the creation account. And the, and the word says this. We just read it. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I heard one pastor as he talked about the creation account of Adam and Eve. And you, and you kind of can picture the story. Have you been around church? You know how it goes. Uh, you know Adam and Eve put in the garden. God says, you see that tree over there? Don't touch it. Right? Don't touch it at all. And then what happens one day? Adam's kind of just over here frolicking in the garden and then Eve is over here and she just happens to stumble upon the tree and then the, the serpent says hey right and tricks her and then she and she gets uh, and then she eats the fruit and then gives some to Adam he has no idea what's going on and then it all just kind of spirals out of control out of there that's the picture I think many of us have in our minds that's not actually what the Bible says here's what the Bible actually says it says it says this let me find it right here it says this this passage says she took of its fruit and ate it and she also gave some to her husband who was with her when you read this passage you actually find that it was not Adam was over here and Eve was over here they were actually together with her husband who was with her and I, it's so shameful that some people will look at this passage and go because of what Eve did women are more gullible or something like that can i just tell you this my wife, in most situations, is significantly more aware than I am. Correction: my wife is always more aware than I am in all situations. No, the problem in this passage was not the weakness of Eve. It was the passivity of Adam. It was to Adam God gave the instructions, don't touch the tree. It was to Adam that God finds after this all goes down, and he says, Adam, what have you done? And it's Adam that Paul will later refer to in Romans 5 when he looks at, back at all of this, and he says, through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin. But there's a second Adam. We'll get to him in just a moment. And so to Mountain View Church, Sunnyside, in 2019, Paul and Genesis are looking to you and say say this, you are called to be the spiritual initiator, leader in your home. It is to you that you ought to be leading your family to read scripture, to pray, to practice the spiritual disciplines, to be the initiator of saying, come on, family, we're going to church. I meet with a guy regularly, and you know what? I asked him, I said, man, what would happen if your mother said we're all going to go to church? And he said, probably part of us, some of the family would get up and we would go. And I said, what would happen if your dad said, all right, we're going to go to church? He said, oh, we'd all go to church, but that would never happen. Um, In this passage, Paul says, you're called to be the spiritual leader in your home. But second and more to the point, love your wife as your own flesh, as if she's your own flesh, because that's actually what you are actually what you are and my fear though in the midst of all of this is that i you know we, we present this passage right we present this passage and go okay this is the ideal um uh and and and, and some of us in here would just walk out and maybe forget everything that was said in the parking lot lord forbid or second you would look at this and go okay this is what i need to do uh treat my spouse well be respectful do the dishes something about a mirror And you would look at this and go, this is the spiritual ideal, and my marriage will never lead up to this. Because let's be real. What happens when you say those words that cut your spouse down and doesn't seem like it's going to be redeemable after that? What happens when that thing is finally said or done, and the response is the kitchen pan comes flying across the room? What happens when you feel like you've been trying for so long, and he or she just seems like they've given up? What happens if you're here and they're not? And you look at all this and go, I'll never live up to this ideal. The standard of what marriage says, of what the, of what the Bible says, you, how you ought to live, stands over you and says, you can't do it. You will never reach this law, this standard. You can't do it. But the gospel says, through Jesus Christ, that he has died in our place. And he says, I know you can't do it. This is why I have died in your place. Jesus died so that we could live... For he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. For I proclaim to you also what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The law says you are condemned. The gospel says you are forgiven. The law says that you can't, you'll never be able to achieve this. The gospel says Jesus already did it on our our behalf. The law says, the law says, Look at how shameful your life looks like. And the gospel says, who cares because I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. This is, the, this, is the, this is the joy of being underneath the gospel of Jesus. I'll tell you what I found. I don't know a whole lot, but here's what I found. Is that if I'm reminded day in and day out of how much he has forgiven me of, man, it makes it so much easier to forgive somebody else. Because I've been forgiven of so much. If I've been forgiven of so much, then I also cannot have my identity tied up in the things I do and how good of a husband I am. It's tied up in forgiveness and reconciliation between me and the Father. And so when you have the gospel at the center of your marriage, the gospel of grace, you can be easier on yourself and know, I'm going to fail every single day, but God has forgiven me. And that's the good news for every single person in every single season of life. And so my prayer is that you would never for a moment try to live up to this ideal apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. The last verse, Paul sums it up, and he says this. So again, I say, Paul, each man, Paul says, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. A wiser older couple once said to me, there's only a few things you gotta nail down in life to make sure that you have a good godly marriage. I think this is it right here. Love your wives, respect your husbands. And so as we look to that day in which we'll see Jesus once again, There will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. And the church is brought together with Jesus. Every person who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will get to experience this. And it does not matter your relationship status. We will get to see our Savior once again. And as we look forward to that day, let us live in grace knowing that he's got us. Let's pray. Let's stand and let's pray together.